Today's episode of Bags and Brisby is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a daily new microcast from GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 58 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And 58, not a lot of 58s. Can you think of 158, Andy? Oh, boy. that's Usually I'm good for someone on every number, but 58, that might be the, the square on the roulette felt that I, I cannot place any chips. I cannot think of a 58. Can you? Yeah, well, I'm looking at the list, so yeah, I, I can pretend I'm smart. Um, but it, we're starting <laughs> to get in the numbers where it, it's going to get a little trickier. We're not, you know, you're not guaranteed to have a number 75. There have been only two in Giants history. Uh, so we have 58. Last year was Trevor Gott. The year before that was Pierce Johnson. Before that, you had to go all the way back to 92 and Kevin Rogers. And then you had Roger Samuels in 1988. Gary Alexander in 1975 and 76. And that's it. So five players have won 58 in Giants history. Wow, but Trevor Gott did, I think he did 58 rather well. I He, he was one of the most underrated relievers in the National League, I thought, for most of last season. He, and I, 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 I took him in my fantasy team because I think he's probably going to be the Giants' closer whenever they have some leads to protect, whenever that might be. Yeah, I did a lot of work on an article, I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, where I was convinced that he was hosed by bad luck. And so I actually watched a ton of Trevor Gott appearances after the fact. And he really was infield hits, uh, plays that weren't made by his defense. Uh, You know, he did make mistakes. He did leave some fastballs down the middle occasionally. But he threw a lot better than his ERA would indicate. He finished with a 4-4-4 ERA, but his FIP was 3.12, and I think he even pitched better than his FIP. I think he was he was dominant. He had his command working uh, before he got hurt towards the end. He had strikeout stuff. He had just you know, nasty movement. So I'm a Trevor Gott fan. I, I, I just traded him in my athletic out-of-the-park league. I traded him to the Astros, but that's just because the Giants need prospects. I am a Trevor Gott fan. Oh, now I need to know, who did you get from the Astros? Uh, I got a, a prospect, Tyler Ivey. He's uh, he's going to be in AAA this year. He had a little bit of concerns with his arm, but he has wacky strikeout stuff, and he's close to the majors. So I, I built that rotation depth. Uh, bullpen be damned. Excellent, excellent. No, I, I, think, uh, I think Trevor Gott is uh, an interesting guy. I mean, I look back on his career, and he was a 22-year-old rookie with the Angels in 2015, and appeared in 48 games. They used him a lot and yeah. uh, averaged almost an inning, pretty much exactly an inning per appearance. Um, strikeout to walk ratio wasn't so great that year, but I think he's gotten better and better. And then he boosted it up to 57 strikeouts in 52 innings last season. He was pretty durable. His whip was 1.1, um, you know, allowed 41 hits in 52 innings. So definitely has the stuff to miss bats and has the... Um, 
uh, durability to go out there. And, and toward the end of the year, he pitched hurt. But, um, you know, when, when they said that his elbow uh, had a UCL strain, we're like, uh-oh, that, that's right. not good. But, but it turns out, as he told me in the spring, his groin was a bigger issue. And he got that fixed with the groin procedure. And, um, and yeah, I think he was, he was throwing the ball great in the spring. So um, Trevor Gott, good, good guy to get excited about. Groin procedure. Groin uh, yeah, procedure. No, we'll move on from Trevor Gott, but I, I was, it was a, a real fun uh, time to be had when I would think about all the struggles the Nationals had with their bullpen, uh, both in the regular season and, and more memorably in the postseason. And for most of 2019, I was just laughing. Just you gave Trevor Gott away. You just gave him away, basically. Yeah. And then he got hurt and then they won the World Series. And so it's not so funny anymore, but for a time, it was good comedy. So I didn't really intend for this to be a Trevor Gott podcast. I don't think either of us did. But one more thing I think is kind of cool to note. He was 7-0, and and aren't relief pitcher wins weird? I mean, wins in general are weird, but the Giants were not a good team last season. They were not a 500 team, yet they had a reliever in their bullpen post a 7-0 and record. That's pretty remarkable. It was, it, and I felt like he earned those. You know, when he came into a tight game, uh, he sort of earned it. Now, he didn't pitch a ton of high leverage uh, games. His his leverage index was below what you would consider the average reliever. So he was pitching a lot of uh, games that were already decided, games early, early on. But I felt like when he got those high leverage situations, uh, he, he shined. I Again, a Trevor Gott fan. So... Anyways, uh, thanks for listening. This has been the Trevor Gott Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) No, wait. So we're just going to go right into it. And the topic for today is baseball's plans or discussions. They sort of backed off on the idea that they had concrete plans. They're they're just having discussions. Uh, But they're going to have phantom baseball without fans. And it's going to have the players locked up and isolated as if they were like prisoners on some weird billionaire's island, Uh, which I guess is kind of a good way to describe it. It, This is dippy and batty and will never happen. Correct, Andy? Uh, Well, you know, Grant, there was a fine American comedy film uh, released in 1996 uh, called Biodome, and it's it's, it's starred um, the, the two, I believe they both are Nobel Prize winners, um, uh, yes. Pauly Shore and um, and Stephen Baldwin, the, the mm. smartest of all the Baldwins, as mm. we know, Mm-mm-mm. and and that film was like Fellini compared to this idea. In my <laughs> mind, I think this is just nonsensical. It, they're trying to throw things out there. They're trying to to have some structures for some sort of readiness. What kind of shape this could take as testing becomes a little more available, which obviously it hasn't to this point. As you know, we start to move past the the peak, hopefully. Um, but so they have to be having these discussions. I mean, they have to be ready at some point to move on some kind of plan that could work. Um, but I, yeah, boy, if this is a trial balloon they're floating, it is a Led Zeppelin. I, I just, I just don't, I don't see it happening. I don't see guys being sequestered in hotel rooms for four months. I don't see them being away from their families for four months. And I mean, it's not just being away from their families. If you've read ball four, you know, that ball players being sequestered from, other people in general is not a, is not something that they're going to uh, really enjoy doing. Um, but you know what? The other thing is you've got guys who are going to be making pennies on the dollar in terms of their salaries, and they want to get paid. So you know maybe they'll see it as a sacrifice. I just I think it's going to be weird. I don't think the baseball is going to be very high quality. Um, 
I think you're going to have rosters that are going to be, you know, huge and, and uh, uh, by necessity. And the baseball will be played in 110 degree heat half the time. You'll have like three games a day at Chase Field. I just see so many, so many ways that the baseball will not even be very good or watchable. No fans. It's just like, it's, it's, I just don't think it's worth it. And if you are, if you're trying to map this out and you're looking at the consequences and the difficulties that you can see and plan for, those seem insurmountable. Those seem like you're just going to keep coming and you're going to have a brainstorming session where the question is, what, what could possibly go wrong? And that could be a very, very long brainstorming session. That could just, it, it, it just seems from what we know, untenable. Just, just, it's not going to work. And that's before you get to the law of unintended consequences. It's one of my favorite lines in, in movie history is uh, from Contact, where they hand uh, Jodie Foster's character a, a pill. It's a suicide pill. And they say, this is, we can think of a thousand reasons why you might need this. It's the reasons we can't think of that you probably do. And it's just like the most chilling, like, ah, like it, it, it chills me. And I'm just thinking about, we can think of a thousand reasons why you can't do this. It's the reasons we can't think of that you probably shouldn't. And it was a tic-tac the whole time. It was a tic-tac. <laughs> it was fun. Maybe you got bad breath and you're going to meet your, uh, you know, an alien and you're going to have bad breath. You can't have that. You never get the second chance to make a first impression. That was a dandruff shampoo commercial, I realize, but it still applies. <laughs> it still applies. Still, but it, I just think of all the, you know, you're still, you're, you're trying to wrap your head around the logistics of, of sequestering an entire league. And then you have to worry about the, the, the logistics of sequestering Everyone that's involved, front office people, you have uh, uh, the the camera operators, you have the the people who actually help the or make the the ballparks function. There are just so many people, and one of the better things I've read about it was was in the Ringer, and and it's basically like those are the people. These aren't the people who are going to be making seven figures. These aren't the people who are going to be making six figures. These are going to be people whose lives are upended. And the comparison the ringer made was it's going to be like the, those people who stayed on that sort of island resort and they have like a fiefdom now where all these people can't go home because these, these dumb tourists are there taking up their time and they can't go home to their families. They can't isolate. And it's kind of like that where you have the people at the top. And if you are, Max Scherzer, and you're going to be making X number of millions, yeah, maybe you consider this. But if you are someone who is pointing a camera at the field and you're, you love your job, but you're not making seven figures, what's in it for you? And even if you get to the point where, like, you push them up to seven figures, really, still, what's in it for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think about it in terms of, you know, what am I going to do? I mean, am I going to go sit in the press box? I'm, am I going to be able to talk to the players? Am I, and even if even if they grant you access and we do, you know, press conference type things with, you know, social distancing and everything, and we, we can talk to players and ask them questions, is it really worth it for me to, to, to be there? Um, I, I don't know. I, I really, I kind of think maybe not, but, um, you know. A lot of this is mood. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, yet at the same time, what, what what I think for me, the, the importance of baseball being back um, and, and getting the games going again, the most important thing for me is the people who, you know, are hourly workers and getting them back to work, um, you know, selling tickets and selling concessions and souvenirs and, and uh, 
you know, doing uh, the grounds, getting the grounds crew back to work, and all the other uh, elements that go with um, servicing a baseball game, all the people who are out of work. But that's all predicated on there being fans in the stands, which we know we're a long way from doing. So, you know, for me, that's the driving factor. That's the impetus. And it's just going to be an impossibility for, for quite a long time. Yeah, I, I don't want to minimize the importance of baseball. I don't want to maximize it. But, I, you, you know, at this point, where we are in our place in the world is that we would love to have a distraction. Everyone would love to have their favorite distraction back. It, in most crises, you have the ability to go to a movie theater and sit down and and forget about things for two or three hours. I mean, that's, you know, the, the famous anecdotal evidence that... that uh, Movie ticket sales went up in the during the Great Depression. I I don't know if that is a, a canard or not, but it's it makes sense to me that even when you have one nickel left, maybe you want to use it to forget. So I I appreciate where baseball sits on that spectrum of importance. At the same time, it's not worth risking everything. It's not worth risking the health of of the uh, the, the greater people of Arizona. Like I just. It's not worth risking the health of the people who would need to be there to support the game going again. It's not worth the health of, of the players and, and their families and, and not just physical health, but mental health. It's not easy to be sequestered for months away from your family. Uh, there's the concern about what about the the players with uh, wives who are expecting. And there's all sorts of things to consider. And again, then there's the things that we're not considering that would probably screw it over anyways. Yeah, I, I, tell, I tell you what, though, the, I, I do understand why um, there is a desire for baseball to try to get somehow get games going again. I think that it only makes sense that as, as they're trying to tweak their game and they're finding ways to, you know, sort of recapture some popularity, um, there was, you know, big concern going on that baseball was not going to be appealing to younger generations. I mean, that's been an age-old concern, I guess, and the game's been strong enough through every twist and turn. But, you know, whether it's you know, trying to get get rid of um, reduce strikeouts or get the ball in play more or speed along games, um, you know, I, I do think that in that line, uh, the powers that be at baseball see a great opportunity here. If they can get their sport started before all the other sports, uh, they're going to get a, a big old spotlight on baseball and get more people watching baseball sure. and maybe reintroduce to baseball. I, I do think that they sense a really good opportunity here, but you know, I, I just it's hard to it's hard to draw the boundary between you know when you look at the captains of industry in this country. What 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 about it is okay? We're going to find a way to operate given all of the constraints we're under, and how much of it is okay? We're making these decisions because we want to be opportunistic, or we want to be avaricious, or you know we we see an opportunity to to squeeze where we've wanted to squeeze for some time. And I'm I'm very I have a very jaundiced view of that. I I just don't really trust um, uh, a lot of the uh, large corporate entities in this country anymore. So. Um, you know, I, 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 I think that it makes sense for baseball to, to want to be opportunistic and try to, you know, essentially get the whole sports landscape to itself. Um, but, you know, it's they got to be responsible actors first and foremost. And I just don't think that uh, this plan is, is super responsible. Yeah, without diving too deep into the politics of all this, but I think it's unavoidable. I've always likened the... Uh, the analogy I've used for corporations and 
you know, in general, is that they're sort of like a, a, a moss or a lichen, and they just know one thing, and they just, we're going to grow. We're going to, you know, we're just going to, we're going to take over this wall. We're going to take over this rock face. We are, we are a, a mossy, you know, uh, a creature. And that this is all we know. Uh, or maybe if you want to get a little more malevolent, you know, it's like a virus. And we're just going to replicate. That's what we do. We're viruses. You know, we're not malevolent. We just, we know one thing and that's to replicate and sometimes a virus can replicate too much and the host goes with it and they can't spread it boy this is a really dark analogy for this time <laughs> however however it is uh th- that's just sort of how i feel it's not like they're bad i don't think on on their face i, I don't think there is uh, uh malintent when it comes to the captain's industry i think they just they have one setting and sometimes that setting does not include the consequences to people outside of their tier, of their uh, uh, class. And baseball right now, I believe, has one setting. And it's kind of hard to be on that setting right now because the responsible thing and the money-making thing are very, very, very different. And as of right now, baseball is doing the responsible thing. They're not playing. I mean, I don't think they would be able to by government decree in most places, but they're doing the responsible thing right now, and it's kind of breaking their brains a little bit because they're not used to that. They want to go, go, go. Yeah, yeah. And I will say, if they did find a way to to get this plan going in Arizona, I would be very interested to see, because the players would have to sit in the stands, essentially, like, you know, one in each section or something. How would that work? Would they, like, scramble after foul balls like they're 11-year-old kids? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, would there be, like, a, a line painted, like, right behind home plate so, like, the teams had to stay on either side of, of the line? Um, it would be uh, quite interesting. Yeah, and I've written about, uh, or, you know, I've watched the the game that was in Baltimore uh, where there were no fans because of the, the civil unrest outside of the ballpark. And it was fun like you recognize that you didn't want it to be happening, but once you've once you're able to kind of slip into the bubble, it was fun for a game. It was like this is different, this is weird, ha ha. Uh, this here's what I've noticed. Here's here are the sounds that you're hearing. Uh, it's really weird to hear bumper music, you know, going into a commercial when there's total dead silence with the players jogging off the field, and then you've got like some new metal or chunk 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 like bumper music heading into the commercial. That's kind of funny. Once, you know, <laughs> right? It, it, it's it gets real old real quick. Jason Stark wrote a nice piece t- uh, today for us in the Athletic uh, that has to do with the importance of fans into the whole baseball experience and how. You know, everyone celebrates the the Mike Piazza home run after September 11th, and most that had to do with the fans going bananas. That had to do with you know it was the moment, it was the timing, but it was also just New York going ah that was awesome, and everyone sort of living vicariously through them without fans. One game would be kind of funny, uh, a whole season or months of it. Oh, forget about it. That sounds dreary. Yeah, that's I I just I I really think that the entertainment aspect of of games that would be played under these conditions would just not be not be very good. I, I whether it's the, the the actual you know gameplay or the atmosphere, um, I, I just think it would all it would all sort of combine for to give me a sense of what are we even doing here? What's the point? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, there are people who are huge enough baseball fans. I mean, I'm a baseball fan. You are, but sure. I I just I don't know. That's that's what I was sort of curious to get your thought on. I mean, what what do you think the actual watching of the games would be like, and would it almost be depressing more than uplifting 
I think it would still. I, I would watch it, of course, because I'm. Uh, they got my their hooks in me, uh, not just because it's my job, but because I'm a baseball nerd, and I would be watching if there were no fans. I if you have the the stadium mic'd up and you're hearing the reaction of the dugout, and maybe that's. Uh, Uh, piped through and given a little bit of prominence relative to where it might have been otherwise that could help i think it would be watchable i think it would be strange uh, but i think there are ways to sort of get the excitement at least in in some diminished capacity uh through and evident on a broadcast or or telecast it's just not going to be the same and i think it's easy to underestimate just how important the crowd is to the whole experience. I mean, we, we talk about the famous example, I just watched it the other day, is when Brandon Crawford hit his grand slam against the Pirates. Yeah. That a part of the excitement there was, yes, the Giants are going to, uh, you know, advance to the postseason. They have a chance to win the World Series. Haha, like that's ever going to happen. But another part of it was that, Pittsburgh was rocking. Pittsburgh was feeling like, okay, we can do this. We haven't had a lot of success as a franchise since Barry Bonds left. We are, we've been down. Now we're up. These jerks, they've already won the World Series twice. Forget them. We're going to get loud. We're all going to be dressed in in black and we're going to be screaming and waving hankies and stuff like that. And when Crawford hit that grand slam, it really was quiet. It really, like, I don't remember a moment where a crowd went from, they were turned up to 11 and then they were down to zero, like, quite like that. Maybe I'm just, it's recency bias, but can you think of one quite like that? No, that, that, I'm glad you brought that one up. I mean, that is like nothing I've ever experienced at any live sporting event hmm. before. I mean, where it just, it goes from, like you said, decibel level jet engine to library, like in an instant. <laughs> And it was it was before the ball had even landed in the stands. It, it was just it was just remarkable. And I think of all the environments that the Giants have stepped into in um, their three postseason runs, I, I do think that that environment in Pittsburgh was the most intimidating. And think of how much more intimidating it would have been. Oh, if the Pirates had started Garrett Cole in that game instead of Edinson Volquez, uh, but they they pitched uh, Clint Hurdle chawed his gum and decided that he was going to pitch Cole in game 162, which ended up not even mattering. So um, Lindsey Adler brought that up on, uh, on on Twitter today, and I was like, oh, yeah, Clint Hurdle. Mm, yeah, that was an interesting, interesting move there, Clint. But, um, but yeah, obviously, uh, um, uh, Brandon Crawford did not hit a grand slam off his soon-to-be brother-in-law. He hit one off Edinson Volquez, and the Giants bum garnered their way from there yeah and i just it's such a a part of the experience and i do believe you can have baseball without a crowd it would be watchable it would be something to talk about it would be something to enjoy it wouldn't be as enjoyable and i'm wondering if as you said if they are if the idea is, hey, we can take the spotlight, we're the sport that's going now, we can do this, and all eyes on baseball, we're going to hook some of the younger generation, we're going to get back some of the older generation that we might have lost, and all eyes on us, is this the format that's going to get them back? Is this going to make people think, ah, I get it now, I get baseball? Or is it just going to be a sort of creepy reminder of the weird situation we're all in? Yeah, that's sort of exactly what my thought process is and what I go back and forth on. It's like, yeah, I would love to see Max Scherzer take on, um, uh, you know, Bryce Harper or, or, 
or watch Buster Posey take on Madison Bumgarner. You know, I would love to see that. We all we all do. Um, would would it be just as uh, thrilling as as you know to see it as we all expected to with a full stadium and everything? Of course not. But would it be you know exciting enough in that sort of milieu to to make it worth it and not be a reminder that hey you know the, what we're going through is really abnormal. Um, I, I don't know. I, I go back and forth on it. But, um, you know, when you combine it with all of the various uh, risks associated and all of the various asks that you would make of people, you know, who are both multimillionaires and who very much aren't, um, that that's when you get into the really into the weeds on this. All right. Well, now, not to change the subject, we'll get back on track. But I, I'm on the 2014 Pirates page and uh, at Edinson Volquez, his ERA that season, 3.04. Garrett Cole... 3.65. So who's the dummy now, okay? Who's the dummy now? <laughs> yeah. You know what caught my eye, though, is that it, the bullpen for the 2014 Pirates, you have uh, a fellow by the name of Mark Melanson closing. His ERA is 1.9. He had 71 strikeouts and 11 walks in 71 innings. I mean, he was just dealing. But it wasn't even the lowest ERA in the bullpen because Tony Watson was 10-2. and two. And his ERA was 1.63. He was striking out more than a batter in inning. And, like, that bullpen was fantastic at the back end. It was, that was, the Giants could not get into the late innings. They'd have to face Melanson and Watson. And it's a little bit funny to think about how those names resonate with Giants fans now. But at the time, you didn't want to mess with them. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point. And, um, and then Melanson obviously had a great year with the Nationals uh, after that. So, um yeah, you know, it's <laughs> that that they really just had really bad bullpen timing for for a few years there from oh, 2016 <laughs> to 2018, 2019. Um, but but actually last year's bullpen I thought was was a big leap forward. They ended That's up solid. Tr- tr- trading the whole group out almost, but um, you know, I think if there's one thing that uh, that Farhan Zaidi is confident about, it's that he can, you know, find the sort of found material and, and cobble together an interesting bullpen with, with young arms, with, with uh, you know, guys coming up from the system that you can sort of manage roles and manage their exposure. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's easy to find pieces that'll fit. And, and, you know, there is the thought that bullpen arms are, are a little more on the fungible side. Um, so, but yeah, it's, it is crazy how, how we talked about how crazy relief wins are. Uh, I just remember like Jose Mesa would would have like a 180 ERA one year and then like a 580 ERA the next year and then the next year he'd be back on the All Star team tipping his cap on the line. It's like it, it's so it's so hard to figure out uh, relievers sometimes. Armando Benitez would have a really good year followed by a really bad year. Um, so it, yeah, it's uh, it is a little bit interesting to see how that's uh, how that's played out. Yeah, I'm I'm in the middle of of completing a. Uh, um an article about in my underrated giant series and it was uh, it's on Santiago Casilla you know we talked about him last time as someone who doesn't get the credit maybe he deserves and I'm not sure if he's underrated per se but I wanted to write this article as a, a little bit of a celebration to him but his consistency in that department where he didn't have up until the the end he didn't have that weird year it was always just kaboom 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 where he was going in with an ERA right around two uh, and helping the bullpen every single year for a few years and you just just don't get that with relievers. They're they're a little too weird. Yeah. Well, and you know the lefties are even even weirder, at least by uh, reputation. 
Yeah, and now I'm I'm going I'm just stuck on this 2014 page because there's just so many old friends of the Giants. You have Francisco Liriano, you have Jason Grilly, you have Vin Mazzaro, uh, Giants legend, Brian Morris. I mean, that was a you had a lot of future and past Giants in there. Uh, hmm, I think we've gotten a little bit off track. When you say is this the 2014 Pirates bullpen discussion? Um, you know, we're going to get to all the bullpens by the time this thing is over. So <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to be deep into the 2009 Rays, uh, probably in a few weeks. All right. Well, this is, let's see, April 9th. And so I guess it, it doesn't hurt to do this every so often. A little bit of a guesstimate check. We are not epidemiologists. We are just goofballs who talk about baseball and write about baseball for a living. But just, I, it doesn't hurt to throw a dart. Do you think baseball comes back this year? And if so, around when? I think that it will come back this year in some form. Um, I I want to say maybe July, but yeah. I'm just like you said. I'm throwing a dart. I don't know. I I, I don't even think uh, I don't think anyone's opinion is valid on this, and I especially don't think my opinion is valid on this. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, yeah, I I think that there is going to be enough resolve to get back on the field that they will have some kind of season. I don't think it's going to be very long. I think it's going to be weird. I don't think it's going to be equitable at all about deciding who the best team is. Right. But there's a lot of people who would be forfeiting a lot of money. And, uh, you know, usually when, when you try to figure out what's going to happen or what people's motivations are, you start with the money. And uh, and so that's why I do think there will be some type of season. Um, but, boy, gosh, what it's going to look like, when it's going to start, I have no idea. For about 10 years now, I've had this idea that I've, it's it's been in my notes and I've been meaning to write about it. It's, it. it's always been a silly idea, but I've I've really meant to be doing it for, for 10 years now. It's what baseball would look like with a 16-game season. And mirroring football, of course, mirroring the NFL, where you were able to, your quarterback, so to speak, is Clayton Kershaw. That's your that's your QB, and you get him for all 16 of those games, or it's Max Scherzer, or it's Madison Bumgarner, or, or whoever your best pitcher is. That's your your QB. And how would the game be different? How do you manage it? You know, what are the the quirks that would arise? Would you have you know these legendary seasons where guys would hit 759, and you'd go into the next season going, we've got the 759 hitter on our team, and then he hits 180. You know that sort of thing. And I can't tell if it's uh inappropriate now or if it's more appropriate now like I, I i think i'm sort of letting that one stay over there because at this point it's not funny it's it's maybe we will have a 16 game season but i do think that they will have a season and it might be extra extra truncated it might be a 30 game season it might be a tournament it might be something just completely absurd and I don't think that there's, I mean, there's a lot of problems with it, but as far as like, if that's all you get, I'm not worried about is the World Series winner legitimate or are the statistics legitimate? I think everyone's going to look at this like a, an outlier, the most extreme outlier, something that makes 1981 look like a normal, totally fine baseball season. And that's fine to me. If they can do that, if they can have some sort of tournament and, and you know, it, it gets the White Sox are, are in it and the Royals all of a sudden maybe have a chance and the Marlins maybe have a chance. It's fun and it's better than nothing. And I think it's going to be closer to that than a normal season. Whatever they decide, it's going to be closer to this is kind of like arena baseball and a, a notch or an accurate representation than a normal baseball season. And uh, and one shining moment will play for whoever wins the World Series trophy. 
Oh, yeah, no, that is that's a given. That is a given. <laughs> but I, I think it's going to be something that is not easy to recognize, but still worth it. And at some point, it's it's going to be feasible. What they're talking about now, not feasible. Probably not worth it. Uh, I'm not the expert, but woof, it doesn't sound like a likely plan. Also, it would be 110 degrees all summer. Yeah, Arizona is not places. Arizona is not a place where human beings should live. Like the whole area is just saying, "Get out!" You know, that's like the whole function of Arizona. It's just like it's a haunted house, but people, you know, they're, they're sure bringing a lot of water in there, and there's lots of golf there. I don't think golf courses would have been there naturally, but you know, I'm not a environmental scientist. Likely not. In fact, I think before mass irrigation, they played on like oiled sand, um, which doesn't sound so good. You'd probably get it in your shoes quite a bit. Um, I, I will say Tracy Ringlesby brought up a good point. Uh, he, he sent me a Twitter message and said, you know what, if this is all about TV and you're going to want these games to be on at seven o'clock in the East, that's four o'clock in Arizona. I mean, you're, <laughs> that is not an ideal time to start a baseball game uh, anywhere, especially not in Arizona. How, how is that going to work? Um, I mean, there, there's so many things like that. You start to you know open up the hood and, and, and look at all the different various parts and permutations of this and yeah, what what would they do? How would they even how would they work that? I mean, the games are going to start at all sorts of times that are not going to make for uh, the most comfortable environment for the, for the players. Um, I guess maybe everyone could have their own personal misty fan uh, in the stands. And, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it makes more sense to like just go out into the wilderness of North Dakota or something and, and build a bunch of stadiums there on the on the cheap rickety or just you know just mow some fields. You don't need stands. Uh, you just have dirt lots. If you're going to do this, let's get some some good weather, some dirt lots. Pitch some tents out in the back. Come on, we can make this work. If Which is funny because baseball, baseball has done that. They they plowed under some corn and built a, a baseball stadium at the Field of Dreams, right? They were going to play a game there. Yeah. And, and, and it's now like, they can't. It's that famous quote, if you build it, people will show up. Famous yeah. quote. Everyone remembers that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. People uh, show up. All right. Well, this has been episode 58 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. It was... Uh, topical more topical than we've been doing for a while and i think that's important to to sort of get back on topic and remind everybody that this is really weird and this is uncharted territory and so uh thanks for listening and kind of riffing along with us because we don't know what the heck's gonna happen it's just all very very strange and i hope you're all well and thanks for listening we will be back on oh god i forgot what day it is uh we'll be back on monday i legitimately forgot it was thursday That is a symbol of our times. We'll be back on Monday. Thanks so much for listening.